Um, hi everyone, and uh, welcome to the third episode of the Ulysses Neuroscience Podcast. My name is Amy Freeburn. I am a research assistant for Ulysses Neuroscience, and I will be your host today. This episode of the podcast will focus on the topic of brain injury. Brain Injury Awareness Month is recognised each March, and this year Brain Injury Awareness Day falls during Brain Awareness Week on the 16th of March. This is a time to recognise the growing prevalence of acquired brain injuries and educate people about the effects that sustained brain injury can have on the patient and their families and promote strategies to improve the lives of all individuals who are affected. So brain injury is often referred to as a hidden disability. Many symptoms following the injury aren't immediately obvious, such as changes in how a person thinks and feels, how they talk to and relate to others, their emotions, their memory, and how they experience the world. So I'm joined today by our guest Maeve, who is going to talk about her experience as a family member of someone who has sustained a brain injury. And I'm also joined by my co-host and fellow research assistant, Carol. So Carol, would you like to tell us a bit more about Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so acquired brain injuries are injuries that happen during a person's lifetime. Um, that person is not born with the condition. Brain injury is, as Amy mentioned, a hidden phenomenon, uh, and it's not immediately evident to the person looking most of the time. And one of the things that uh, is important to talk about is that nobody ever thinks it will happen to them, but it does happen. And as many as 19,000 people are affected annually in Ireland from newly acquired brain injuries. The only real thing that you can do for brain injuries is prevention um, and avoiding them. And taking adequate preventative action can actually improve the outcome in case the injury still occurs. So what are the types and causes of brain injury? Um, brain injury can be traumatic brain injury. And that the most common one is road traffic accidents and falls and assault and non-traumatic brain injuries like strokes, uh, which is actually the most common brain injury in total, tumor and uh, so on. Sports and exercise actually uh, account for a third of all referrals to the state's main center of traumatic brain injury in Ireland. And the most commonly referred activity is cycling, followed by Gaelic football, horse riding and rugby. Um, something that people maybe not don't think about a lot is that uh, cycling can be very dangerous. And it, the study that uh, highlighted that showed that patients that present with brain injury after a cycling accident, while they were wearing a helmet, they suffer minor injuries, while two thirds of those not wearing a helmet suffer intracranial hemorrhage with five requiring, um, sorry, 5% requiring surgical intervention. So wearing a helmet, for example, is something that can be hugely uh, impactful on the outcome of the injury. Other causes of brain injuries are viral disease, uh, hypoxia, which is oxygen, oxygen deprivation to the brain, seizures, overdose, and so on. Um, every individual case is highly diverse and the outcomes are very different. They can range from mild and temporary, like a concussion, to a very severe and permanent disability. And the neurocognitive brain disorders that can follow a traumatic injury and concussive brain injury are recognized by the DSM-5, that's the Diagnostic, Diagnostic Statistical Manual of uh, Mental Illness. And they are characterized by a significant impairment to the activities of daily living. Moreover, 
um, another thing that might not be as commonly recognized is that people aged between 15 and 29 years old are actually three times more likely to get a brain injury than any other group. So it is something that affects young people in particular. Currently, there are no official statistics for the number of people living in Ireland with a brain injury, but according to data from a number of other countries and basing it on the Irish population, there are, it can be estimated that between 9,000 and 11,000 people sustain traumatic brain injuries annually in Ireland, with further 8,000 being diagnosed with a stroke. So that's a very significant impact on the population. Yeah, so um, as Carol has mentioned, there is no warning or deterioration into the condition of brain injury. It alters the lives of those affected literally within the blink of an eye. There is often a lack of services available at the time of injury, and unfortunately, too often people can be left in inappropriate settings such as nursing homes, community hospitals or at home where families find themselves struggling to cope as they take up a permanent care position. In essence, brain injury doesn't just happen to one person, it happens to a whole family. As they adapt to life after a loved one sustains a brain injury, family and friends can experience stress-related symptoms, depression, anxiety and feelings of isolation. So at this point, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Maeve whose dad suffered a brain bleed in July 2019, which has left him with lasting physical disabilities and cognitive symptoms, meaning her family have taken up a permanent care position within their home. So hi Maeve, thank you for joining us here today virtually. Um, first of all, could you tell us a little bit about how and when your dad's brain injury occurred? Uh, yeah, hi everyone. Um, so my dad had a massive incidental bleed to the brain, um, which was complicated further because at the time he was on anticoagulation medication. Um, so the bleed occurred on the left side of his brain and it spread into um, his ventricles. Um, as you said um, in the introduction, a brain hemorrhage is the most fatal type of stroke you can get. Um, and my dad had it in 2019. Um, he was in hospital at the time uh, for a small procedure on his heart um, and he got up to go to the toilet that night and he just collapsed. So as he said, it was no warning, very sudden. Um, we're very lucky in a sense that he was in the hospital already because he had oxygen on him straight away. So he wasn't deprived for too long of oxygen from his brain and he was quickly transferred to ICU for critical care. Yeah, I mean, that's really, really lucky. Like... Like I said, a lot of the time the services aren't available. So that's, it's wow. Um, so what, you said it's a bleed on the left side of his brain? Yeah, on the left side of his brain. So it affects his right side of his body. And so what kind of deficits does he have from that, the cognitive or physical? Um, so my dad's case, it's more so physical than cognitive. Um, it affects the left side of his brain, which affects the motor and its sensory nerves on the right side of his body. Um, but as I said, he, he was very lucky um, that he had oxygen straight away, so his cognitive impairments aren't too much. Um, but it also um, affected his vision slightly as well. Um, so the struggle for him is enormous, really. Um, but it had a catastrophic insult to his body, um, depriving him of so much. Um, unable to independently carry out his daily activities, living independently, such as, you know, toileting, walking, eating. Um, so, yeah, it's a huge blow to his dignity and quality of life, really. Okay, and so how has this impacted your life as a family? Like, have you had renovations to the home? What was the process kind of moving from his recovery to adapting to, like, life now? What has changed? What has stayed the same? 
Um, so yeah, I suppose at the time the family are kind of forgotten because you're kind of your sole focus is on the person who suffered the stroke. But um, we did suffer, you know, enormous stress dealing with the trauma of the event uh, and thereafter, like the work and stress of rehabilitation and you know the change to his lifestyle. And um, but we did have to do major renovations to um, our house to make it wheelchair friendly for my dad to come home, which was also incredibly stressful, especially in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and then. When he did come home, we had to get used to a new normal in a sense. For example, you know, we can't make plans last minute. Someone has to be at home with him all the time. And um, so our freedom as such is gone. And I suppose as well, like, you know, your relationship changes with the person as well. You know, you go from being the care, the person you're caring for as a child to caring for the parent, which is kind of like a, a role reversal in a sense. And can I ask you something? How has your dad coped? with the changes to his life like did he have any hobbies and daily activities and how did they change um yeah I suppose like my dad he can't drive anymore because of his eyesight so like he was obviously always you know out he would go golfing he had friends he'd meet you know he had a lot of things that he would do he was very independent in that sense so like that's completely gone in that he needs help with virtually everything um, so he's had to come to terms with that and I suppose we've had to come have had to come to terms with that as a family that you know we're probably more than likely going to have to help him with these things for the rest of his life you know he's never going to be the same as he was so you know he has found that really hard and I think it didn't really hit him to be honest until he came out of the rehab hospital because when you come home you're kind of like struck with this is the reality and this is my life now for however long. Is it taking him long to adapt to that? Um, to be honest, he's still adapting. Like he only kind of came home in September, August 2020. So he was in hospital for about 14 months. So when he came home, you know, it was hard to adapt to this. So I think it's only kind of in the last few months he's gone home that he started to adapt to it. And he still gets very frustrated. Like it's it's only natural, you know, that he never thought his children or his wife would have to be doing such basic things for him. So it's definitely hard for him, but we kind of just have to, you know, get kind of just like just get on with it. You know, it is what it is, you know. Yeah. And even for you, it must like it must have been really hard. Um, how has it been? You just went back to college to do a master's. And how do you balance going you know, forward with your life as a young adult and actually taking care of your father at home? Um, yeah, I do struggle with finding a balance for like for sure with that. Um, as I said, my, my father's always going to be somewhat compromised. So I'm going to have to care for him with my mom, and my sister. Um, for the rest of my life in a way because you know he may improve but he will never make a full recovery as to what he was before Um, so my mom is my dad's primary care which is hard for her you know she's 61 I don't think she saw herself in this position at this stage of her life so I suppose I worry about her and you know the guilt of not being at home all the time and having you know her to take most of the responsibility for it Um, but I do have great support from my parents especially my mom in that she doesn't want me to give up my life because this has happened and they want me to get on with my life and be happy despite having these struggles um, at home but I'm still working on finding that balance in my head of accepting what has happened um, but you know I have to still be able to go on with life um, and as I as you said before like your life literally just changed overnight you know one day he was totally capable and the next he was dependent on us for essentially everything so the shock and numbness of that it does eventually fade but you know, it's still very hard to kind of comprehend in your head, I suppose. Yeah, um, so 
like as you said there's literally no way to prepare for it it just happened um can mm. you recall how you felt like when you heard just talk us through those moments um yeah so I was actually abroad at the time I was on my J1 um and it was the 4th of July so I was out at a good time um but you know I got home to my apartment and my sister just sent me a message just saying can you give me a call and I rang her and I, I had a feeling something was wrong because she knew the time difference and it was late so yeah I took the call and she just kind of started talking and I just remember her being like dad's had a big brain and it's really really serious and they're saying you need to come home and I kind of just I think my legs kind of went from underneath me I kind of just fell back into the bath I think in the bathroom and it was just such a shock like it was just I never experienced that in like it before um, and I kind of had to get into it like I kind of cried I did my crying and it's kind of like look maybe you need to get on a flight to go home you need to get yourself together so I think at that point I went into a state of numbness because I had to pack a bag and book a flight and you know make my way through an airport and kind of prepare myself mentally for what I was about to face um, but yeah as soon as I got there I you know went to see him and that's kind of when it started I had to just you know put on a brave face and for my mom my sister and just try to get through it yeah, I mean, I was wondering something that's terrifying. I mean, you don't at this age, like you think like, you're invincible as a young adult. It's not something you wake up thinking you're going to hear that something has happened to one of your parents. Yeah, no, it's tough. And did you did you go for? Sorry. Did you look at anything regarding brain injuries? Did you do any research? What? And did it help? Did, were you given any information by the medical professionals? Um, yeah, I suppose like we have, um, there's been a lot of organisations that have been very helpful to us. And I suppose at the time, the ICU doctors and all of the people that were minding them were very open and, you know, very helpful to us in terms of questions and everything. Um, I suppose in terms of organisations, we were really lucky to be in contact with Brain Acquired Injury Ireland. Um, we found them extremely helpful. They came to our house and assessed my dad. Um, an occupational therapist came and assessed him. Um, and I suppose with COVID, this hasn't really happened yet. You know, the services are kind of on hold at the minute, but they, the plan was to introduce someone that would come to him for an hour a week um, for services like helping him with a computer, whatever he wants to do really, like could be like, you know, making a cup of tea in the kitchen, you know, things like that, kind of introducing back into normal life, you know. Um, we also had Centre for Independent Living in Offaly, which is under the HSC, who provided carers, who have been amazing. We've been so lucky with the carers that we got. Um, we also, a physio from the HSC comes intermittently, which is also probably not as regular because of COVID as well with the situation. Um, and after ICU, my dad was sent to Donnybrook, which is a rehabilitation centre in Dublin. And he had physio for five days a week. Um, it, could, it was occupational, psychological, there was a doctor, there was social worker. And this facility was really amazing. They were so nice to my dad. And they were always available and supportive to us um, when we asked questions or needed information. And they also did um, update calls with us and my dad via Zoom on its condition during uh, COVID, which is amazing. We were always kept in the loop, which is when it, when it came to his care, which was amazing. Um, but obviously COVID, with COVID and the ongoing pandemic, everything hasn't been fulfilled um, as they're under pressure, I suppose, and with, you know, contacts and everything. Um, but we have found them very helpful in terms of questions and that. Yeah, and um, so obviously we were saying this was is the most fatal type of brain injury and your dad was incredibly lucky to survive and be in a hospital when it happened. 
have you seen an improvement in his condition since it happened? Has the rehab helped? Is he becoming, is he gaining a sense of independence back in a way? Yeah, I would say he has, like, I think when we look at where he was in July 2019, like, he was, he couldn't even lift his head, like, his, his paralysis was that bad, whereas now, like, he can walk with a stick, like, he's he's walking, it may not be independent, but he is, he's after coming on leaps and bounds in terms of what we saw him as. I suppose it's, it's harder for him to see his improvement because he doesn't remember how bad it was, so I think that's why he gets frustrated more, though, more so than we do. Um, but yeah like from where he was like in a coma to being on death's door to come back to where he is like he has gained a lot more independence that we thought he ever would have and they say kind of six months to two years is um, how long it takes to fully recover but like we're kind of coming up to the two year mark and like he hasn't like he's in no way like going to be independent as he was but you know we kind of take every everything that he does as a win because we know how 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 bad he was when he when he did have the stroke and can i ask you something um you said that his physical ability has gone improved uh, a little bit more do you did he have any cognitive impairments uh, after the stroke and if so did they affect your the relationship he has with with the family and like with memories and yeah um to be honest cognitively he's actually fine like he's he doesn't have any mental problems or he like his I'd say the one thing that we notice is a short-term memory because like sometimes you can just forget certain things or words things like that but like in terms of a relationship like he's still the same person which we're so grateful for like it is really just physical um like and then there's all the times though that he can have kind of outbursts of anger and like things like that where kind of his filter has gone a bit I suppose which is obviously a brain injury related but like I said as I said like he was lucky that he was where he was because he had oxygen straight away so his his brain wasn't deprived for too long but no cognitively we're grateful that he is as good as he is because I think it would be a lot harder to have a cognitive impairment on top of a like an already kind of extreme physical impairment as well um, but yeah, no, we're, we're very lucky that he's as good as he is mentally. Yeah. And I was wondering also, because you mentioned that the rehab centers have been great and you got on great support and they've always kept you in the loop. But I was wondering, the, were you provided any type of mental health support uh, with you for, for the family, for your dad to help transition into this new reality, this new life? Um, now that you say it, like, no, there's no mental health support offered to families. My dad did have a psychologist in the rehab centre, so it was kind of more so it's focused on the stroke victim as opposed to the family, really. I have kind of got my own support um, from psychologists, but that's from my own doing. My family's, like, we've got that ourselves, but there's been no, there's no mental support to families in terms of rehab centres or anything like that. Like, you, you kind of have to find that on yourself. Oh, thank you. Um, that's actually quite terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Um, do you do you have any hopes um, regarding what you would like to see more of in the future, both in research and in policies? Like, what would actually be helpful? What what is a wish that you have? Mm, I suppose. Yeah. Like, I think, as you said, like, there's the only, the only kind of, preventing is the only kind of way to stop 
believe like this type of thing from happening and like people aren't aware of how their lifestyle can affect like this can like that can affect something like this happening like my dad did not have a healthy lifestyle like you know he was overweight he did eat too much and things like that did contribute to what happened obviously it was incidental but you know his lifestyle didn't help either so I think more awareness about people that like you need to mind yourselves that like this is very real it can happen in the blink of an eye and you know that you really do have to you know like mind yourself but also I suppose as you said like there's not much about how the family falls into this as well like there, as you said like we didn't get any mental health support or anything like that I suppose like just more emphasis on should be more kind of like help and like transition because it's such a big transition that there should be more help in like doing that like as in you're kind of left on your own in that sense I think those would be two things that I would hope to see more of in the future if, if something was to happen thank you yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah and now like two years almost two years on from the bleed obviously COVID-19 has been hugely pervasive to a lot of that time do you think this has affected like how you coped? I mean, Nikki's are obviously at home a lot more. There's, you're, has this affected the family dynamic? Do you think this is a good thing, a bad thing? And then obviously yeah. I have carers in during the pandemic is a little bit, it's a worry that people have, like, you know, introducing people to their home. Yeah, um, I suppose um, two years on, you know, it's interesting to like, to be honest, we're still finding our feet with our new normal. I think it'll maybe take another year or two for us to actually find our freedom in this new situation because, you know, with COVID and everything, it's just a different level of different for us. And I think I thought once he got home that things would improve quickly, but it was only when he came home that you're kind of bombarded with the reality of the situation that that's all the emotions kind of hit you. Um, I've only kind of started to deal with that since he's come home, which is only seven months ago, really. So, you know, every day is hard, but we're lucky to still have him here. Um, and that he has the capabilities that he has because I know people are in a lot worse situations after something like this happens to someone um, but I suppose COVID has definitely made it a lot harder than it probably would have been um, my dad's been home for seven months as I said and it has, he hasn't seen many people um, except carers and ourselves so I think that's definitely stunted his recovery in a sense because he get he can kind of get down and depressed about whatever that's going on and he can't see his friends and I think that definitely affects if you're not mentally well, that affects how you get on. Like if you're doing physio and stuff, like how you, like you need to pay up any more and be like, I want to do this. It shouldn't be like that. You're depressed getting up to do this. Um, but the carers have been amazing and they do take a lot of weight off our shoulders when it comes to caring for them. And they've been vaccinated, which puts, which puts us at ease. Um, my dad hasn't been yet, which is kind of a bit of a worry. We're kind of, I think my dad still falls under like, you know, they're doing ages first, so he'll come under whatever, over 60. Um, but uh, I also haven't been able to go home as much, which is hard because of restrictions. So I can't be as supportive as I can't remember my sister, which is difficult. But I, you know, we're getting there. You know, we're still we're still on the recovery journey. And I think we will be for a good while after, you know. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, um, thank you again, Maeve, for talking to us about your experience so honestly. Um, and of course, sending all the best to your dad and your family going forward with your new normal and just, yeah, wish you all the best. Thank you. So as we have discussed, there exists a need for recognition of the hidden ongoing challenges that patients and their families face during the adaptation to life post brain injury. 
The 16th of March is International Brain Injury Awareness Day. By increasing awareness at all levels of society, it will hopefully make it easier to push for more services to address patient and family needs so that the best possible rehabilitation outcomes can be achieved. As we've heard from Maeve, it is easy for the family to be overlooked during the process of recovery, particularly in regard to mental health and where to access information and support networks while caring for their loved ones. For any families who have been faced with similar situations and identify with the day-to-day struggles that we've discussed, the leading organisations in Ireland are Headway and Acquired Brain Injury, ABI, and more information on what services are currently available can be accessed on their websites. That wraps up this episode of the Ulysses Neuroscience Podcast. Thank you again to Maeve and Carol for joining me and thank you for listening.